0: What's going on, everybody? This is Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com back with another episode of the RMR podcast. Today, joined by special guest Warren Bowbrow of Klaus. How are we doing today, Warren? I'm fantastic. Doing great over here in uh, rainy New Jersey. Rainy. And I feel like I discredited you. You know, there's only so many characters we can fit in the title. So I'm saying of Klaus, but you're a man of many travels, traits, hustles, um, and, and, you know, been held in high oh. regard as a in gnomes held in high regard in a couple different areas man i mean you you know in your life you've worked within the alcohol industry mixologist chef writer now cannabis industry entrepreneur i feel like you know there's very little you haven't seen or done man well i've failed at all of them except for the except for the cannabis thing
1: this is uh this is success in small ways
0: I don't know, man. I, I think you know every time I talk to you, you have so much life, so much energy, and so much wisdom for your travel. So I'd say, for, at least from the outside looking in, it's hard to say you failed at anything, man. Well, thank
1: you. That, that gives me a good feeling inside. But uh, I will tell you, with all honesty, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for doing less than perfectly
0: i I think that's i mean I think that's like you know a, a higher thing in life right you know we are like this the sum we're the sum of all parts and that's the good things the bad things the mistakes the successes yeah. you know what i mean it takes takes a lot of that to get to where we're gonna where we need to go yeah well, I haven't gotten it there yet but uh I hopefully have a lot more time to try to find it. <laughs> I always say Lamborghini the Lamborghini's not in the driveway yet but uh you know no. I close my eyes no. I can see it man you know it's coming some sometime <laughs> I'm not sure when. Uh, you know, I, I kick off every episode with our guest origin story with cannabis. So I, I would love to know, kind of, kind of, when you got started with with cannabis. Gosh, it was uh, there was a
1: it was a Grateful Dead concert, 1972, uh, in Jersey City, uh, Roosevelt Stadium. That that ring a bell? And uh, I went with people who were some of them are related to me. I won't mention any names. <laughs> and uh someone passed me a joint and it uh made me cough really badly i'm sure it wasn't this less than quality but uh but fortunately i had family who were in the uh the creative business i would say out in los angeles motion pictures mostly and they always had very very high quality weed and that was back in the 1970s when no one had high quality weed but it was coming down from northern california or if someone was lucky to go to hawaii and you know they were cool that they found stuff you know you're young you're open-minded i i i smoked weed i didn't really i wasn't a big drinker that
0: wasn't Absolutely. my thing well which is and then that that at some point that somewhat changed a little bit right because you got into mixology and i know you've traveled well, yeah. the globe uh you yeah, know well, on, on that side it, of the industry
1: yeah, but, you know, cannabis wasn't legal. And here in New Jersey, you know, there are a lot of stigmas. And even when it was illegal, which wasn't until very recently, uh, you know, the idea and the concept of being arrested for your craft is not something that I relished. So that's why I opened my business, you know, doing, you know, doing Klaus in California, because these are not permitted in New Jersey. It's not part of the mm-hmm. uh, the law. We, we have flour. We don't have beverages. And there's no edibles, so uh, you know I have to come out west for it. And I love to come out west, but there's a lot of expense in that. You know, got to be a rich man to travel.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I know you're waiting on the day to bring bring the brand back to the you know to the yeah. home state, not out there in the in the in the east, man.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, I would love to do Massachusetts, and even though they have a five milligram uh, limit, but still, you know, there's a conversation to be had there. And then I was. Loving to, you know, the idea of bringing it to to Colorado, because Colorado, there's all sorts of interesting things, you know, and regulations about it that I feel that we can fulfill. Uh, you know, New Jersey's off the table, New York possibly doing something that's terpene forward, if not THC, but... Mm-hmm. Gives you the impression of having that that feeling, but but I you know I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But what Klaus is is not a seltzer. It's not one of those clear drinks with bubbles in it. This is a true craft cocktail, and I've created something that no one else has done because there's no one else in the field who does what i do i mean i I twist things up and i you know the drink is not 14 industrialized ingredients it's uh three ingredients and they're bartending ingredients or Mm -hmm. you know culinary ingredients and of course they're usable in a uh in a manufacturing standard because we you know, have food science. Food science is really important and scalability is really important and being the CEO of a company is really important and, and you know, being, have the gifted gab is really important mm-hmm. and getting out in front of people and meeting people like yourself and being really engaged about, you know, doing something that no one else has ever done and doing it in a way that, that that's successful and is passionate and, and makes me feel, you know, happy to be alive at 61 years old and to do what I love. I mean, that's totally where it's at. If I don't do this, I'm going to become, who knows, maybe a sculptor.
0: lot <laughs> of weed. So, so yeah, some form of creative outlet. I am, I am sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious your, your the inspiration behind Klaus because I know I I tried it when you did. You know, I think the the launch right. at Hall of Flowers at uh Tran at, at the at right. the David's, you know, yeah event. at the at the Fairchild Zo- event at the well, event event, Air, at the uh, air yeah. Museum. Yeah. Yep. At the Air, the air Museum. Museum. Yep. That was great.
1: That was amazing. We got it in front of people who have never ever had a chance to to taste it. They were incredible to us. I mean, David is is I wrote about him when I wrote for Forbes, and I guess that opened up some doors. I don't know, but uh, but we were able to get the uh, get Klaus into people's mouths, and uh, they 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 tried him, and you tried it, and it was something that. You know, really was invigorating because the flavors that work here mm-hmm. are not your normal, uh, you know, fizzy water drinks or soda drinks. And the fact that it's only six tenths of a gram of sugar is should be really important to you. Mm-hmm. You're young yet, but when you get to be my age, you start looking at your sugar intake and you say, you know, what's healthy for me? And six tenths of a gram is not going to hurt you. And sixteen calories. I mean, sixteen calories. Who does a sixteen calorie drink? Right. Out? Look at the calorie count take a look and see what you're drinking and, and, and how it, you know, how that Coca-Cola that you're having is, is, you know, 400 calories for eight ounces is not helping you out. You know, So, so we want to make something that's delicious and, and I can't say
0: it's nutritious, but I can just say it's really tasty. It's not, yeah, it's not like you said, it's not leaning on that. And, and like for me, right, I'm not a calorie counter as a consumer, but I also don't drink right. soda. I haven't drank soda in, yeah over well over a decade just by choice i'm I, right. I stopped doing it and i now just have no desire to do it i'm not a seltzer drinker really i mean i'll have mm-hmm. one every now and then but i i i'm one of those weird people that just likes like regular water like i enjoy no, there's, it whereas there's, there's nothing wrong with it but w- my
1: idea of of creating the the mesral because there's a whole backstory and mm-hmm. why it's called mesral we could talk about that if you want but the idea of 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 why I created the drink was to make a, a twist on a drink that you would normally have with rum in it. Mm. And in this case, it would be a rum drink that would have an agar call and an agar call rum would be from Martinique, or from Guadeloupe, and it would be a French type of rum that's made from freshly pressed sugarcane juice that's not fermented and not boiled to make molasses, which is really poisonous stuff. And if you're drinking molasses rums, you should stop today <laughs> and only drink fresh pressed stuff. But anyway, I digress. The uh, So this drink is meant to have rum in it. What we did is we put 10 milligrams of full-spectrum terpene-forward hippie-crasher uh, THC, you know, THC ca- mm-hmm. cannabis in the drink. So the flavor and the smell of the Hippie Crasher is is really, you know, it, it has a pungency to it. Mm-hmm. It has kind of like the baby skunk running outside the window right now and and this gassy pungency, which is really nice. And, and it's very pronounced along with the Pickett's extra hot and spicy ginger syrup from mm-hmm. from uh, Denver, which is made in a Great Britain style, and then I use the uh, I use a lime puree from France from a company called Boiron. and you know it's called French. You know, it's a French fr- fruit puree with little tiny Caribbean limes, very intense, very potent limes, oily, delicious. Mm-hmm. And then the the last ingredient is tangy, and it's uh, mirin, which is Japanese rice. Vinegar, But we didn't use the sweet version. We used a a dry version. So it's herbaceous and tangy and crisp and aromatic. And it works with the other three ingredients. And of course, the hippie crasher, which is a nanotechnology, which is from a company called Vertosa, which is in the San Francisco area. And they are class acts.
0: Mm Yeah, that, na- that nanotech definitely helps when you come to beverages. So we, you know, you can you speed up that the activation time to where it's oh yeah similar to enjoying idea. a beverage rather oh, than sip on it. it
1: well, and, you know, the the idea wasn't just to have a cannabis beverage. I mean, cannabis is a plus, and I love it, and I have a you know almost fifty year history with cannabis, so no one could say I'm a Johnny come lately to the table. Um, we wanted to have a drink that was as delicious as having a, a mixed drink mm-hmm. but without the hangover i don't drink anymore in uh july of 2018 down at tells the cocktail where i was doing a private event down in new orleans during the during the Tales, and uh i took my last drink and it was a hemingway and i love hemingways and you know i really Wanted another Hemingway, but they just didn't taste right to me anymore. So I wanted to have a uh, create a beverage that was socially acceptable, that mm-hmm. no one knows your business, that when you're drinking it, it's just as pleasurable as having any sort of canned beverage. You know, canned cocktails are super potent and super delicious, and they're all over the place right now, and they're making people all kinds of money. Why can't a THC, you know, infused beverage like Klaus do? You know, equally as well, because it's delicious and tasty, and you know, vibrant, and you'll never have a hangover from it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and that's the big thing, right? Like about cannabis beverages. There's this big talk, a lot of hype, a lot of articles are coming out uh, about their place and some of the pros and the cons of them fitting into social situations. And I feel like you've done a good job, as you just explained, of some of the elements that have gone into this beverage of making it not just fit in you know from the way that it looks right um but from the way that it tastes the way that you can yeah. enjoy it the way that you can consume it wanting a cocktail but not wanting the alcohol
1: i mean the design is beautiful and john mammoth you know is brilliant in, in what he created here for me and but it's not going to fall prey to what we call pretty label syndrome you know you go to a wine store and all the bottles are beautiful looking mm-hmm. but the wines plunk you know In this case, the beverage supersedes the beautiful label. It truly does. And everyone that tries it says the same thing. They say that I've ruined them for their bartender, which is what I anticipated having happened the first time. And the second time that they try it is like, wow, it really does smell like weed, but not in a bad way. It's Mm -hmm. like a, a perfectly cured cannabis flower that's been you know aged beautifully and has just the right humidity when you crack it open and you smell it that's what you smell along with that spicy ginger the Mm -hmm. little touch of vinegar and the and the lime and that's all i wanted to do is be simple and be perfect and if i can't be perfect tell me and i want to make my next one better
0: yeah and i and i remember trying it. i remember i was like this isn't quite but it gives me these these elements of like I've become a kombucha drinker as of late because yeah, of a sure. lot of those elements. You get something that's yeah. somewhat like a soda, but has these bright, natural type flavors yeah. to it. And
1: kombucha, again, with, with respect to kombucha and shrubs, those are fermented beverages. This, mm-hmm. although it has vinegar, is not fermented. Right. Um, and it's also shelf stable, which is something very important. I I do stress that you should refrigerate it because it just tastes even better, refrigerated. But don't overload on the ice. You only need like one or two cubes, if that. And then the other thing is make sure your ice doesn't taste like garlic from that pasta that's been lurking in the back of the refrigerator for two or three <laughs> weeks. So, you know, take good care of your ice and your drinks will take care of you. Hey, ice
0: that's is important. That's, that's sound advice. And so I know when you were pouring at, at the Hall of Flowers event – I believe you were actually using it to mix. So this is used because you can use this as a base sure. for, for further cocktails or just yeah. ready to go. Yeah, I mean, there's a,
1: I did it. I did that at the Hall of Flowers, the Fairchild event. That was just straight pours.
0: Okay. Okay. I did a,
1: another event at the last at the Palm Springs Hall of Flowers that just took place, you know, a couple months ago, and I'm still working on some of the flowers from that. Um, that one I did some live mixology with okay. uh, with i did it with alcohol and i did it without alcohol because i wrote this little book here called cannabis cocktails mocktails and tonics so i have permission to use alcohol when you mix in with you know for the crossfade but uh on the commercial market no way no way i don't want to go to jail please (laughs) be good to me
0: that And that's that's a hot topic around cannabis beverages. So many people talk about replacing alcohol. I know you said you're not drinking it, so it replaces it. But uh, for, no, for some it. of us that do enjoy alcohol, this is a weird taboo to even talk about. Some of us do enjoy a beer or a drink. Yeah, or well, liquor. I like a beer and a,
1: or a glass of wine. Don't get me wrong. And I, you know, and I also infuse things like chartreuse VEP and regular chartreuse for people. And you know, I just don't have a, a, a taste for it anymore. It doesn't mean that I, I, I can't do it. It's just that it doesn't taste good to me anymore. It doesn't feel good. The buzz doesn't feel good. I don't, you know, I don't think anyone could fault me for not drinking. I, I think, no. you know, I could start drinking rum punches tomorrow with no detriment. The detriment was is was the nearly 75 pounds that I lost. The detriment was is I couldn't put my feet in my shoes. The detriment was that I was working as a, as a rum you know judge for the Ministry of Rum and Rum XP. And we were drinking 150 rums a day starting before nine in the morning. And it was all day drinking. You can't do that and live. All my mm-hmm. friends died. I lost a, a lot of friends who work in the liquor industry. And they were like, like myself. They were brand ambassadors. They were seeing the world. I've been all over the world for my craft. But it was going to kill me. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. to do something else. And what was I going to do? I couldn't retire at 50. I didn't have any money. I was bankrupt. I had to do what I loved. I started writing. I went back to school. I took, I, started, I got disowned. You know, I was bankrupt. My wife left me. I lost my house. I, every fucked up thing that could possibly happen to a person at 50 years old happened to me. And no one knows that. You no. know, they, all think, they all think whatever they think. But I, I didn't come out of nowhere. And this is all with, with struggle and it's all with, with grief and it's all with pain.
0: And, and nothing th- came easily. Absolutely. And, and the thing that, that, and I think no one knows about that, like something, that, the, the, the stuff that you've spoken about is how you found your calling late in life. You've said it's been a bl- I well, remember I you saying it. that to me one time. Bitch, I hate the word late
1: in life. I hate the word late in life because this is where I'm at. Sure. I'm not late. I might be chronologically at a certain place. But I, late in life to me is like someone who's in their 70s. Now watch sure. me, and, you know, in 10 years, look back and say, late in life for me is someone in their 80s. You know, my grandmother lived to 105, and she, she looked great until the end. And we had a, a last drink together before the train left the station. And she drank Maker's Mark every day. And from her 100th birthday on, they sent her a bottle. So mm-hmm. I knew it was important. So, you know, because I wrote a book about whiskey, so I was pretty well known in whiskey. But, you know, it's a uh, it's just a funny thing. You know, you you choose what you want to do and you choose your vices. And my my vice certainly was alcohol, but it didn't like me and it didn't like what it did to my body. And, you know, I had to get all new clothes, but I feel great. And that's really important. And what's up here is now clear as opposed to before I was just dealing with drunks, you know, and when you're trying to do a business deal and everyone's drunk, you can't blame it on the alcohol because you have to blame it on the person. Mm. We don't, you know, we have a lot of problems in cannabis, but we don't have drunks. They weed those out pretty fast.
0: Yeah. So to speak. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's and definitely I'm, hard to find. I'm but sorry for getting off on a tangent. But no, I feel, no, it's, I feel it's very passionate about that, and you know there there's a progression and there's a path for everyone. And you know I would have been content to be where I was. Everyone knows me in liquor. I mean, they'd they'd love to have me back. They would ask me what was wrong, but uh, you know I was totally blackballed in in the liquor industry because I went to work in cannabis, and it mm. it didn't uh, it didn't leave a good flavor in my mouth about the people that I used to consider my friends and those that i still do consider my friends are very careful about the associations that they meet, that they make, especially if they still work in liquor,
0: because cannabis is still a forbidden topic. let see. That's so interesting that like, we were just saying that that cannabis and like in the, in the cannabis sector, you talk about, um, you know, drinking, like even cannabis beverage, you talk about traditional alcohol mixed with THC beverages is this taboo people don't want to talk about. So it's interesting to hear on the other side that in the alcohol industry that there's this 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 shunning or, or the stigma against cannabis. Oh, yeah. As well.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I every I I hated the uh, occupational hazard. You know, when I go down to New Orleans for a week, you know, during Tales of the Cocktail and there was a hangover every morning or, you know, like. The people that I talked to would never believe it, and and if they did believe it, they they would never understand it because the the level of drinking that goes on is beyond anything that you can imagine. It's not just social drinking; it's business drinking, it's waking up and breakfast drinking, it's the nightcap at night, you know. But I'd much rather talk about the things that make me happy and like the people you know. Where I was mentioning about uh, Hall of Flowers and and how they embraced my work and I wrote I was fortunate to open up doors and and introduce myself to people and get out of my comfort zone where i really had to uh to tell my story and, and make it into a real elevator pitch and it led to meeting the uh Sands lane people who hmm. really have been incredibly supportive of my craft and i would never have been able to get this far without without them and and you know it Things are, are gifted in life, and that's one of the things that I was gifted with, was a, was someone to support me and my craft and to recognize the fact that the drinks that I make are, are the best they've ever had. Mm. <laughs> and I, I make no pretense, and, and I think I'm pretty soft-spoken. I mean, the people I come across who are from the, bartend, you know, the bar world, they, they, they know everything about everything, and I'm happy to say that I know just a very tiny little <laughs> bit and still am as good as I am. So I'm lucky.
0: Yeah. I'm just lucky. At what point, obviously, like you said, is being a cannabis consumer starting, you know, a couple decades ago and that not being a viable industry or career path. And then all of a sudden this career path unfolds itself in a way that wasn't around. What did it look like and how long did it take you to be like, all right, I'm shifting to the cannabis industry because now it is an actual industry. It only happened like three years ago. I mean, that's it three or 40, four years ago,
1: even though I wrote cannabis cocktails in 2015 and it wasn't released until 2016, still that it was illegal then. And and it was forbidden. And, you know, I, I really had a lot of problems. I had a lot of financial problems. I had, you know, it was, it was really a, to the detriment It it caused me to be disowned from my family, uh, physically and emotionally and financially. I mean, who, who's ever had to deal with that? I don't know of anyone else. I only read about that stuff in books, but it happened to me too. And it's not fair. And, you know, coming from an affluent, uh, you know, ultra high net worth background and being raised all over the world and never really been given the life skills that were necessary to become self-sufficient until I, you know, worked in a bank and, you know, for almost 20 years and paid attention to what was going on around me, whether I liked the job or not. But the fact was, I wasn't given the skills at home. To know how to have a savings account, know about the value of compound interest, and know about how to how to run a checking account. I mean, how many kids know how to do that today? They don't. So this stuff is really, really important. But I wasn't given those those skills because I didn't get cut off until I was almost fifty years old. So in a lot of ways, it was do or die. And I got a job as a barback because I wanted to write about the alcohol you know the liquor industry from the inside out and you know so it was 2010 i needed a job i went to see my friend chris actually i went to see my friend anthony bucco who was it's just starting off as the executive chef at the uh, ryland inn in white house new jersey a five-star restaurant incredible food and i asked him for a job but i didn't want to be a cook because i'd been through culinary school and that was just no place for me i wanted to be out in front of people so i went to see his head bartender was a guy named Chris James, who's still my mentor to today. And I always thank him. He was the one who taught me to make a drink and speak to someone at the same time. Mm. It's quite an art, but once you can do that, you can do anything in life because you can chose that you can do something with your hands and carry on a conversation without making mistakes. <laughs> so Chris was, was really good to me and, and just taught me how to do that. You know, in and, and a lot of ways you could say it's like rolling a joint and having a conversation mm-hmm. at the same time. I can't roll a joint so I can make a drink and have a conversation. But I guess what we're trying to say is, you know, you're only as good as the people who teach you. And in my case, I was given that opportunity and I put my head down and did a job of a you know, 17 or 18 year old at 50 years old. And it was, you know, it was a great lesson. And 11 years later, I, I learned something and it created something in the fire within because I didn't have anything. I didn't have rich parents to fall back on. My father was about to be dead and my mom, I haven't seen in, you know, in 15 years. So, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, there's gifts in life and there's things that cause you pain and there's things that make you cry and there's things that, that you say it's not fair, but you're only as good as what you make yourself. Mm. And I've made something out of nothing. And anyone who wants to shoot me down, please go ahead, because I've written six books and I've heard it all before. And if you know, and if, if you could write write a book like Cannabis Cocktails when hardly anyone was even born, much less had you know smoked weed, I think that's a pretty good accomplishment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What what were what was your experience at making cocktails and what kind of uh, cannabis infusions were you doing in, in 2015 when we didn't like the a, nanotechnology wasn't quite a conversation yet? Oh
1: yeah. Well as a chef and I was trained as a saucier, so I knew a lot about double boilers, <laughs> you know, making sauces. You don't want to curl those those gentle, you know, mother sauces. So I I don't have a whole lot to say about culinary ingredients in my drinks but I do have a lot to say about taking ingredients that you already know about things like a, um, my, my hoochie coochie man, which is, you know, essentially a mango lossy. And I took the, the rum out of the, well, you don't even need rum in it, but in, in the rum context, there would be like agar rum or a light rum in it. And then I, you know, infuse the, uh, the, the mango puree or, or even the Greek style yogurt with THC and then just mm. drink it on a, on a blistering hot day, you know, with the rum in it, it, gives a, a unique experience and it, and it has a wonderful effect and it's probably the best high I've ever had in my life, but I will tell you that it's not for everyone. And, you know, don't go to your bartender and say, I've got this tincture will you put it in my mango lassi. That's probably not a good idea. But you can go to your Vietnamese restaurant and you can get a uh, iced Vietnamese sugarcane juice, and in your pocket you have some condensed milk that's infused with THC and makes something really delicious. Mm. So that's kind of nice.
0: That looks crazy.
1: That is crazy nice. The the drink that I that gets the most attention. I mean, there's there's lots of great drinks in this book. There's 75 drinks, but the drink that gets all the attention is the Vietnamese iced coffee with THC-infused condensed milk. Hmm. That is the drink because you can make this. This drink has 250 milligrams of THC in it. <laughs> <laughs> you can destroy yourself and all your neighbors.
0: Yeah, you get with the coffee, you get your day started and finished right there with one. With one <laughs> right,
1: right, and if you really want to have fun, you could do something like a tea punch, which is loosely uh, based on the on the mezral. And a tea punch is lime. uh, It's, you know, lime puree, cane sugar syrup, and rum. And I have it with uh, lime uh, ginger, the ginger shrub, which became the meserol. And then it has rum agar coal and the cane sugar syrup. And it has about 250 milligrams in that tiny little glass. Mm. So it really does the job. And it's great on a hot day. does not have any ice in it. No ice.
0: What 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 are the elements you know? And this is probably vague, but what are some of the elements you feel like that a great cocktail or mocktail needs, whether it's flavor wise or what are some of those components you feel like?
1: Uh, it, it should not be sweet. I don't make sweet drinks, so uh, that's that's are the first thing, and and that's what's so, such a disappointment to me. Uh, when I spoke at the cannabis drinks expo, the two times that I spoke there, uh, the first time I got up and I said cannabis drinks suck, and they do. And uh, the second time I, I got up and I said, cannabis drinks suck, but not quite as badly as they used to. <laughs> they didn't ask me back this year, no, they, they did, but I, I'm gonna, I'm going back as an observer, not as a uh, you
0: can't be on here bashing the category anymore.
1: <laughs> no, no, you've been a bad boy and you got your beverage and it's not sweet. No, it's not sweet at all. But it's tangy, and I think that's really important. So you should have a sweet element, you should have a bitter element, and you should have a tangy element, mm. and they balance together like really good soup. Mm. And as a saucier, I'll tell you that everything doesn't go into the pot and then puree it and hope that you have something. That is a technique, but not for making sauces. Mm. And so the, I use that those same kind of techniques for, for building clouds and and. Each of the SKUs, and there's going to be three SKUs before long, and I'm working on the other two right now. But uh, each of the SKUs are unique, and they have a, a clarity of ingredients and a clarity of flavor. And the cannabis element is seasonal. So certain uh, nano emulsions are only available at certain times. and hmm. that, So that gives my beverage a certain seasonality, and I like that. I, I love that seasonality, that craft element that I'm not making 25 million cans and, you know, wonder if, if they all are going to taste as uniform. I'm, I know that mine are going to taste uniform, but I'm happy not to make 25 million cans. I'm happy to make a batch, you know, we're doing batches of 5,000. I think that's really marvelous. You know, I worked in craft spirits for all the years that I worked in, you know, in the liquor industry and I would never have it any other way. I wasn't working with, you know, William Grant or Diageo or any of the big players. I was working with, you know, companies that were coming out with, you know, 2,500 bottles of spirits. That was a big run, you Mm -hmm. know, and they were lucky if they could sell them. So I think it's kind of the same way. I I feel very much a kinship to the the wild people who would quit everything in my life. You know, I lost my job, so I didn't have the choice. I had to do something. But with a lot of the people I come up against, in the uh, you know in the cannabis infused business or whatever you know they're they're trust fund people they've inherited money they made money uh, they're entrepreneurs they're uh, they they have wherewithal I, I'm the, the one of the few people who doesn't have any of that I wish I did but I don't and uh, I just have to work harder so I can earn it myself you know
0: that's a, just a boxer in the ring still standing man that's um, right that's right. Uh, um, so on the seasonality, right, because people do seasonal flavors. So you're talking about the only seasonality will change with the the, can- the nano emulsified cannabis that you're infusing. So yeah. slightly give different that terpene profile will slightly alter based on seasonality, correct? I believe so.
1: And, I, you know, I, I I really don't know what the limitations are of Virtosa yet. You know, I, I I imagine that that once they sell you an emulsion, they can continue making it until such time as they can't get it anymore, and then we would have to reformulate. You know, reformulation is not inexpensive, and that would, that would be a problem. You know, a drink is as fine as the Mezrol needs to have the right strain to complement the other ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to go back a little bit. The reason why we called it the Mezrol, it was for uh, a guy named Mez Mezro, who uh, during the jazz era, was friends with a cat named Louis Armstrong and yesterday was Louis Armstrong's unofficial birthday, July 4th. And, uh, Mez was a guy who, uh, white guy, Jewish guy who brought a bunch of weed up from Mexico and sold it in Harlem and in Chicago, South side of Chicago, which was the center of jazz music in, uh, you know, in the jazz era. And, uh, he made a lot of money and made a lot of friends. And one of the people that that Mez hung out with, of course, was Louis Armstrong. And that's where Louis got his stuff because uh, he was a smoker, not a drinker. Something you should know. So yesterday, I went to the Flushing Cemetery and visited Louis's grave and brought my uh, little JBL speaker and played his music from WKCR.org. And Ooh. they have thirty uh, some odd hours of Louis Armstrong. And you know, Louis is a smoker, so I. I spent spent some, a little bit of time smoking some smoking some weed and listening to some music and paying homage to uh, to Louis.
0: Oh, that that's a, that is amazing. That's a great 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 way to infuse that name around some history. That's uh, right in the cannabis space. So
1: so there's there's just one deeper thing. So a mez roll was a uh, the a slang name for a well-rolled cannabis cigarette. You w- might not call it a reefer or a joint, because even though at that time cannabis wasn't illegal yet, still it was frowned upon by the police. So you probably wouldn't want to be asking for a reefer or a joint. That was the, the key. But a well-rolled joint in the slang was a mesrol. And if it was something mm. like, you know, something really fine, the mesrol was, was the slang name for it. So yeah. I like that.
0: Yeah, I, I, man, I like that too. That's definitely a a lot of creative elements with that name, and so, and then the name, yeah. the, the the brand name Klaus itself. You have Klaus. We need to get a little bit of right. the the history of Klaus, man.
1: Klaus came to me uh, in the early nineteen nineties when I just started working in the uh, in the liquor industry. From a friend of mine named Heather, who uh, had the entire collection of gnomes in her family for, I think she said almost a hundred years, and uh, when I started working on liquor, she said that he wanted to be, you know, famous someday, and he became famous before I did. You know. <laughs> the things that he's seen, I have no idea, but I think you'd probably run for the wall for the doors. <laughs>
0: He's, he's, tra- a, he's traveled the world with me. He you.
1: has. He's been all over the world with me. He's been held by presidents and Kings and bad people and good people and gas station operators and hospital workers and, and guards at the border took him from me in, uh, in France. And they, uh, they x-rayed him even though he's hollow and terracotta <laughs> and they had guns on me because they thought he was, uh, I was smuggling drugs in him. True story. And I, uh, in Russia, they they examined him extra hard, and you know all the things that went on there. And uh, I don't know. In Switzerland, uh, they examined him. Everyone's examined him. They they love him. They love him, or, and they don't know what to, what to do with a with a grown guy, you know, traveling with no. <laughs> but I do.
0: But I mean, that's what makes you- me
1: happy. And if anyone doesn't like it, they can find other friends because <laughs> I'm happy with who I am. And he makes me happy inside. And if that isn't good enough for anyone, they can just go away. Leave
0: me I alone. I love, I love, I love the energy. And it's just, it's amazing that you've had that. And that was one of the last, I think when I saw you at the last Hall of Flowers, when we were walking the floor, you had shared some of those stories and some of the some yeah. of the places he'd been. And I was just, I remember being in in awe of like, man, you've really taken this this the gnome with you everywhere across the globe I'm
1: everywhere and, and when i worked in the food business he came with me i would go to like the fancy food show in new york city and all these people you know from all over the world i'd take pictures uh, of klaus and i you know or klaus and them together and then i started getting invitations and i got a, an invitation to go to france to cover the uh, fete gastronomique which i wrote about for i think foodista or one of the blogs And I brought Klaus with me and he went, you know, we went to Burgundy and we went to Dijon and we ate and we drank and he had a great time and, you know, he he didn't want to leave. So when we were uh, about two years ago, he and I went to Berlin together and I went to speak at the Berlin bar convent uh, on cannabis and beverages and he didn't want to leave and he had an accident and he broke and uh, uh, he, you know, he got repaired Mm -hmm. to say he got repaired. Yes, an archaeologist repaired him. Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, it was almost a disaster. So uh, he knew he was going to be famous after that, and the beverage got named for him. So there it is.
0: That's when you wanted to start the when you wanted to start the beverage. Was there any other name in contention, or was it just no. that immediately? There
1: was just that. It was Klaus. It's Klaus. He's you know he's on the can. I don't know. You can see him. He's he's right.
0: Right okay. There. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember it. I think I remember. on the
1: can. He's on the website, drinkklaus.com. And then our Instagram at drinkklaus, which is just a, a, a so much fun. It's, it's always changing. John keeps it really fresh and it's just a, a, a great storytelling thing. You know, I, I worked in television in New York city years ago and it's not even on my resume anymore. So long ago, it was like, I was like 16 to 18 years old. And, uh, and I learned how to tell stories visually through making TV commercials. And it was when you start looking at Instagram and, you know, the reels that are on uh, mm-hmm. on Facebook, you start realizing that my degree in, you know, from Emerson College, my film degree wasn't so far off the mark. And I may not have actually used what I learned in, in film school to any benefit to me in my pocket, but that... That doesn't mean that i can't use the uh the classes that i took to make the images that we're trying to achieve you know more vibrant but one of my my favorite teachers from uh from school a guy named jack gantos i still keep in contact with and he was my creative writing professor and uh i wouldn't say that he uh forced me to write cannabis cocktails mocktails and tonics But it didn't hurt having someone tell me that maybe I should consider a career being a writer, and it only Mm. took me another 40 years before I did it, so...
0: Well, what is the, you know, and, and across your journey, you know, I, I think a lot of people that have found their way to cannabis, being that it's so new, it's hard to say, right? I was professionally a part of cannabis before. We could say we were part of the legacy yeah, well, market, I saw whatever. Weed in college. I mean, come on, I sold weed. <laughs> but it's you know, being that, that as an industry, right? Like we have to take our experience with cannabis, but also from these other parts. And so, while you've had these other careers, what? How do you feel about how all of these things and experiences align? into cannabis and feel like when you find, when cannabis finally became an industry where you're like, this is it, this is my calling, this is where I need to be. And it kind of has these tangents and relations to all these past experiences.
1: That's a really tough question. Um, But I think a lot of it comes back to and continues to come back to the Grateful Dead. You know, Mm -hmm. I may not always listen to the Grateful Dead every day, but every day I'm somehow touched by the time and effort that I put into following them around and seeing the you know, almost 300 or 300 or so shows that I saw. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a deadhead, but I think what it means is it's a, a, a further calling. It, you know, we experimented a lot with psychedelics. I can't say I haven't been experimenting still. I still enjoy my mushrooms and, you know, much to the you know, chagrin of others, but some, you know, appreciate that as well. And that's okay. But, uh, I just think there's a universal dialogue that we have with cannabis and we're really fortunate that I can travel without it, but always find it. Hmm. And that's what I try to do for people, my friends, you know, they can, they can always rest assured they can travel without it, but if they have my phone number, I probably have something for them. So they don't have to worry about that. I call that the, uh, the cannabis rainbow or, or other people sometimes call it like the, like the horseshoe, you know, and the horseshoe is, uh, is upside down when it, when it's like a U, it's catching the abundance. When mm-hmm. it's the other way, things just like fly off of it, like bad reviews for my books or something. So uh, you know, you just let it fly off your back. But the, I like the idea of the, uh, the the horseshoe being shaped like a U because it fills with abundance. And uh, mm. if I can help those who uh, who come my way who don't have, I'd be a happier man
0: than I am. That's- that is a that's amazing. Uh, ha- having worked in, worked in the alcohol space, you know, there's so much uh, of these relations or metaphors where people say cannabis industries like the alcohol industry or the cannabis no, industries not like no, the alcohol industry. No, what, what are what are some like of the, what are some of those ways what, that that make it different in, in your opinion? It's,
1: it's not because we're we're not hungover every day. That's hmm. the first thing. Um, people don't drop dead at work hopefully you know the dabbing thing concerns me a little bit but that's just because i remember richard Pryor, and with you know free basing so that kind of i i don't dab dabbing makes me throw up so that's a pretty immediate reaction to it you know i'm a flower guy i like uh you know i love the stuff that i have from like astro farms i I just Mm. love it you know it, it, it just outdoor grow You know, I mean, what's so difficult about that? That's, that's the way I was raised. I was raised on outdoor grown cannabis. I've always loved outdoor, outdoor grown cannabis. I love the stuff from Northern Cal. I love, you know, Oregon. I I love Maine. I love Massachusetts. Western Massachusetts is growing stuff that you wouldn't believe. You know, the terroir there is really exceptional. And I, I'm just astonished what uh, a guy named Chemdog, you know, is doing Mm -hmm. out in Western Massachusetts. There's just, it's it's gas, it's just pure gas. I, I can't get over it. It's not sweet. Thank God it's not sweet. Everything's so sweet. I mean, I, I go over to California and it's it's great stuff, but it's also sweet. It's like a fruit salad. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I was surprised this year in Palm Springs, a lot of the stuff that I was trying was, uh, you know, had a certain bitterness to it. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that. There was a lot of creativeness. So it wasn't like, it just wasn't candy. But the stuff that's aimed at, you know, the 21 and up crowd is, is pretty sweet. You know, they're adding yeah. terpenes that are sweet to it. And I don't necessarily say it's good and I don't say it's bad. I just don't choose to smoke that.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting. Whether it's ber- beverage or cannabis, that terpene preference for you follows suit yeah. where you don't. Yeah, it consume. does. Yeah,
1: very much so. I mean, you know, as I said, with, with the drinks that I make, you'd be hard pressed to find anything that's sweet. There are a couple things that sort of teeter on the edge. But uh, I, I knew that I wasn't going to do something in the beverage space that was not challenging. I had to do something that challenged your palate and your intellect. Mm. And if you didn't like it, I wanted you to tell me why you didn't like it. And I knew, as I said earlier, I would make it better the next time because mm. my ambition in life is to ruin you for your bartender. And if I do that, I've done my job.
0: <laughs>
1: and it's the best. It's the best feeling I can, I, can, I can give you because it shows that I've succeeded at something in life. I didn't have that growing up. My my dad was manipulative and and destructive, and my mom was with her horses all the time. So I didn't have the the family you know unit. And the only time I saw them was when we went to travel in Europe, which would be one or two months of extreme deep dives into culture and to food and into wine and and everything else that goes along with you know being raised like I was. But mm-hmm. I will uh, tell you that when that ended when all of it ended it was a it was a stark reality of how hard do you really need to work to to achieve something in this life and uh i'm prepared to do it and i've been doing it all along and i only anticipate doing better
0: uh uh, man i love it's all it's all about refinement getting better i mean that's the thing whether you're you know chef mixologist growing cannabis it's all about how can we make this better how can we take the last batch it might and it might take You know, sometimes some of those regards, it might take a couple batches to to surpass the one that you made one time, right?
1: Sure. No, but I I, we did it right the first time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I knew it was gonna be perfect.
1: I mean, I don't want I I don't want to brag. I mean, I, I have a gift. As I said, I have a gift and I I wanted to exemplify that gift by sharing it with as many people as possible. And right now, I believe we have the best tasting Drink on the market. Unfortunately, we have the best tasting drink on the market that no one can buy. So we hope to work through those difficulties, and hopefully by the time you know this airs, we'll have uh, worked through that and uh, be back in the running. As I as I said earlier, I don't want to be where maybe I didn't say it, but I don't want to be in every single dispensary in California. I want to be in the right dispensaries mm-hmm. in California. And the other thing I want to be doing is the DTC piece, so the direct to consumer the ginger piece, because that takes the distribution thing right off of my hands and lets them deal with that Mm -hmm. rather than me having to go around in circles figuring out someone who likes me. I know they like me, and I know they like the beverage. I just have to have someone who can go around and do it make that happen. I'm the sales guy. I open up the doors. They have to get it there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And to, to, co- I mean, to coast on, you know, it's one of the best, best beverages I've had in cannabis, you know, personally, I'll, I'll, I'll be on air and say that, uh, you know, I, again, I'm not, I'm not into the much like you, I'm not into the sweets when I had it the first yeah. time I was like, this is so refreshing that it tastes good. It's got so many elements that you would want, you know, that I get that people want from, from carbonated or sweet beverages. Um, it's got those elements, but it doesn't taste that. And then even still knowing, Knowing the sugar count, you know, now being a father of a young child, yeah. uh, I'm starting to make correlations with sugar in a way yeah, that I didn't was, in, in the past.
1: And the type of sugar that's being used. I mean, this is pure cane sugar, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. I wanted to use demerara, which has that funk to it, but uh, that was not available to me in the you know the amounts that I needed. Um, and then it would have changed the entire balance. of The ginger, because the ginger is is the element that has the cane built into it anyway. So that is a ginger concentrate that, that you use in bartending and it makes what we call a ginger beer syrup, but there's no alcohol. It's just the, hmm. the technique anyway. So, uh, the, you know, I think it's really, really important to use the best ingredients at your disposal. And I've always been taught to use fresh juices whenever possible. And that's why the lime element was so important in the in the beverage because it's a a, a true puree of these little tiny caribbean limes which are extraordinary i mean they they taste like no other lime maybe a key lime but you know you'd pay two dollars a piece you'd never be able to afford to do it so it was uh it was a struggle and a search and ingredients are really important to me and, you know, being a chef didn't hurt and knowing what goes into that pot of soup, you know, it's all the, in the ingredients and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of love. You know, in New Orleans, we always called it uh, lagnac. And that was that sweet coating on the back of the spoon, a little bit of extra, a little bit mm. of something extra. And I think that, uh, that Klaus offers that, you know, that little bit of something extra. Because that little bit of something extra is the experience that you have that gives you a wonderful feeling inside. It's talkative, it's communicative, and you have that great, great night's sleep. You know that night because it's a uh, indica leaning hybrid. Absolutely. So it's, it's it has good conversation ingredients and uh, makes you nice and relaxed.
0: And, and that's I mean that's the goal, right? When we're taking cannabis, at least me personally. I'm trying to relax
1: for a cocktail. For a cocktail. Yeah. Exactly. you not know, exactly. talking to it, You're chill.
0: Yeah. I'm not trying to get amped up, man. <laughs>
1: well, you could. You know, we, we all True. could have Uncle Arnie's, and, then, and we love Uncle Arnie. We love it. We love yeah. it. Everyone should have an Arnold Palmer that's 100 milligrams. I think that everyone deserves to have 100 milligram. And if, if you haven't had a, a Matt on your show, you really should.
0: I, I haven't had him on here but but I am a fan of, of their product cuz like I said I'm not a soda drinker but I I do like well, an occasional lemonade you, and I do like the it. occasional Arnold Palmer. It's,
1: it's you know if I wish <laughs> I, I wish I had the uh, the foresight to to do that kind of work because I would do a long island iced tea without mm. the uh, alcohol but but anyway, you know, that an Arnold Palmer is brilliant. And that's why the Mezral is so brilliant because if you can make an Arnold Palmer, you can make a T-Posh that doesn't have uh, rum in it. It has THC, and there you have it. Or a spicy ginger daiquiri. You know, everyone's had a daiquiri. A spicy ginger daiquiri is just one little dog leg to the left, and then putting weed in it. Psh,
0: amazing. <laughs> and and with and with the mezcal too. Obviously, you had a, a book you previously made of seventy-five different cocktails. Um, what what went yeah, yeah. into thinking that? That the mezrel would be the first beverage under under Klaus.
1: Uh, you know, it really wasn't up to me. <laughs> I uh, because I, I I formulated that actually I formul- uh, the first formulation I did was with Matt from uh, when he was at space station, and that was just the one that that we that we seemed to, you know that we could get the ingredients pretty easily, and when we first started formulating for for the drink. And we, we did it with, like, you know, notes written on the back of a piece of paper. I mean, it was really, it was pretty rough stuff. I mean, I had the, uh, I had the lime puree, I had the ginger, but I didn't really have the vinegar yet. And I, I, I was worried it was going to be too much, uh, too low of pH, or too high of pH. Instead, you want to have low, low pH, high acidity and it didn't have any acidity at all it just it just sucked it wasn't there yet so it took another year and another several formulations until i came to the realization that i was going to use something from one of my books and that was the uh, the the mirin and i you know i wrote a book called bitters and shrub syrup cocktails so i have a lot of experience with uh, fermented beverages and switchels and and shrubs and things you know kombuchas and things of that nature but I don't really, didn't really want to do a fermented beverage. I wanted to do a beverage that had a certain tangy quality mm. to it that really kind of perked up your, your appetite and made you hungry and thirsty at the same time. And, and why that happens is the same reason why people put vinegar into their diet. You know, a teaspoon of Bragg's vinegar before you go to bed helps you digest your meal. I can't tell you that Klaus is going to help you digest your meal, but I can tell you is that vinegar element is going to perk up your appetite because you take a, you know, some people drink Amaro's at the end of the meal, but they also have an aperitif like, uh, you know, a Negroni or, you know, Campari or whatever for, for, you know, to stimulate the stomach juices to make you hungry. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of the meal, it's the same thing. You would have a, you know, an Amarone or, you know, wine or, or a, uh, you know, something that digests teeth to settle your stomach and the vinegar does the same thing. It settles your stomach with that little bit of vinegar element. And it, as I said, it's not a whole lot. It's well in balance. It doesn't really taste vinegary, but it gives you a certain, you know, mm-hmm. sparkling feeling that it's tangy and it works so well with the ginger in it. You know, one of the techniques that I use in craft cocktails is adding a pinch of, of kosher salt or sea salt to the, to the end of a co- you know, when you're making a cocktail to, bring all the flavors into balance and and that that's a a, a great technique but i didn't want to put sea salt into the drink because i thought that it would probably float to the bottom Mm -hmm. and it would be it would be lost so i wanted to use something in the and the you know, the goal was to use something that wasn't salty. The goal was to use something that was tangy, and vinegar was the perfect element. But you didn't. But the, you know, there's a thousand and one different types of vinegar out on the market, so it had to be the right vinegar, mm-hmm. and the mirin was the right vinegar. Yeah. It's it taste great, cannabis?
0: Yeah, I, I mean I I didn't do all the R and D, so I didn't try all the different flavors. But I know that candy <laughs> on your hand. I know I tried that, and I, I know did. it's well, right. You right. Know,
1: knowing about food and knowing about ingredients, and I've always loved Asian food. And you know, being that I was in California, mm. I had to do something that was pan-Asian, because I wanted to create a beverage that was good with the types of food that I love, and that's Thai food and Vietnamese food and Mexican food and anything that has lime in it. You know, mm. when you squeeze you know squeeze lime over a bowl of pho that just enlivens all the ingredients that Japanese, that Chinese five spice powder and, you know, the the long cooked bones and the, you know, the fat and the grease and everything else that makes that delicious. It tastes even better when you have a a Klaus, you know, a Meserol with you you because of that ginger, lime, vinegar element works really well with Asian cooking. And also, you know, like tacos, I I love it when you squeeze a lime over Mm -hmm. a carnitas, you know, in your taco and have a Klaus with that. This is a perfect combination of flavors.
0: You're getting, you're getting me hungry right now. What all, what all you got on the agenda for the rest of 2022 with, with Klaus
1: uh, Klaus is looking for a distributor. Hopefully we've got that handled. As I said, by the time I speak, you, you air this um, I'm going to be going to uh cannabis drinks expo and, and, Making my, you know, introducing myself around. Klaus will be with me. Uh, we're gonna have a good time. I'll be in uh, San Francisco from the 27th until the 31st of July. Uh, going forward, gosh, I don't know. I mean, we're we're gonna try to uh, release the Meserelle, uh in New York State. Okay. It looks like uh, we're gonna do a terpene forward, uh, no THC version. We've been we've formulated for it. I believe we're we're looking for a, a canner right now in new york to put it together but we you know the emulsion can be shipped across state lines because it doesn't have thc Mm -hmm. so we've got that taken care of and we have all the other ingredients so why not you know i want to go to Whole, you know be in like whole foods yeah i want to be all over the country man i mean come on i've struggled with my life i've gone through it all if if anyone has failed as many times as i have i want to meet them so i can tell them i failed one more time than they have
0: (laughs) Oh man, I, I love it. And, and I I want to see it. I want to see, I think it fits right at, right at home. You know, a, a non-cannabis version fits in a food, a, a store like Whole Foods. Cannabis yeah, version. You know, it's fits scary it. though,
1: because my identity is weed. I, I didn't want to make it like, like CBD. That's crazy. I hate, you know, I don't want to say I hate CBD because I almost said it, but, uh, but really if things that are sold at like gas stations in New Jersey, mm-hmm. I really have a difficulty with. So it's snake oil. You know, you're trying to cure cancer. You can't do that. You know, you just can't do that. That's not allowed. And I don't care if it's the FDA or the FTC or whatever. We we have to pass a lot of hurdles to put a cannabis beverage out on the market. And it's unfair that that companies can can take, you know, famous people's faces like Clint Eastwood and put it on their CBD. And he just won the big, big lawsuit, you know, that Mm-hmm. Took his name off of the, his picture off of the CBD container, and I think that's really telling. I mean, the, there's uh, there's a lot of things that we can do and a lot of things we can't. Why do make why try to make life more difficult? It's already difficult enough. We already have enough, you know, uh, controversy, and we have to go through enough hoops to come out with a with a beverage which is, in, you know, incredibly pure and incredibly delicious and incredibly different, and uh, has my name on it. See, I think it has my signature someplace in there. <laughs> yeah, well, it, see, there's the Meserola. I don't know it, it, uh, it has my signature somewhere, but yeah, there it is. But I put my signature on it and that means something to me. Yep. You know, when I used to live in Charleston, they, uh, in South Carolina, they said you seal a deal with a handshake. And I believe that. And I sealed a deal with my signature on the can. So there you go,
0: man. I love it. I love it. I Qual-
1: know how to make it.
0: Well, I love it. I'm looking forward to, to, to the next time I can I can taste it. Thank you. Um, That's yeah, no, most most certainly. Appreciate you uh, also taking the time out to get on here as well, Warren. Anyone that wants more information, drinkklaus.com. Yes, two Ks, D-R-I-N-K-K-L-A-U-S.com
1: yep. or uh, just drinkklaus.com or drinkklaus on Instagram. I recommend going to the Instagram site. It's a lot more fun.
0: The IG updating content pretty frequently. Well, I appreciate you being on here, Warren. This is the RMR Podcast, episode 44. We'll be back. I think I got one or two more episodes this week, actually. So we'll be back with a couple more episodes before we kick off the North American Weed Tour next week.